Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Movies and Meal, a podcast where we talk about movies and other things while we eat. I'm your co-host Ben, and as always, I'm joined by Keith hey. and Brad. What's up? So we're back together again, recording. I think it's been about two months it's since we. Been a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. summer, <laughs> our schedules, just a lot of things going on. But we're, you know, we're all back together, and we're going to talk about some movies. Three movies in particular. We're going to talk about Golda, which is the kind of autobiography of Golda Meir. The Equalizer 3, the third in the trilogy starring Denzel Washington. And then we're going to close out with Bottoms, a new comedy that just came out, I think this week, right? I think this is the second, second week. Second week. I hear this week. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of this indie comedy. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll just lead it off. We'll start with Golda by Ears movie first, Golda. So, Brad, what's this movie about? All right. Summary always, courtesy of IMDb. Focuses on the intensely dramatic and high-stakes responsibilities and decisions that Golda Meir, also known as the Iron Lady of Israel... Faced during the Yom Kippur War. All I really knew going into Golda was that my brother was in town and we wanted to celebrate National Cinema Day when tickets were $4. Not exactly summer blockbuster fare, but there are two things that Golda above the wide swath of movies with great actors playing famous people. First of all, Helen Mirren is a true force in my ear, one of the most controversial figures in 20th century history. And second, rather than being about her whole life, this one wisely lasers in on by the Yom Kippur War of 1973 and the long-lasting impacts of Meyer's decisions in that conflict. From October 6th to 25th, 1973, an Arab coalition led by Egypt and Syria led an attack on Israel that was an extremely bloody battle that could have easily led to nuclear catastrophe. And even buried beneath the prosthetic nose here, in a constant shroud of smoke from Meyer's chain-smoking, Mirren still shines. This movie from director Guy Mantiv and writer Nicholas Martin is as much about the intensity of that bloody conflict, which my ear and her advisors can be seen applauding Egyptian casualties even as they send more and more of their troops into the breach, as this is about the guilt that comes afterward. This is framed by the Agronaut Commission that looked into the circumstances that led to the Yom Kippur War. Thankfully, it still lets the audience make up their own mind about Mayer, who was forced to resign in 1974, but is still revered by a large part of the Israeli population. And Meredith is great as she shows the many facets of Meyer's persona, bloodthirsty on the battlefield, even as she's compassionate with her own staff. Granted, the war room scenes as she plots the battle strategy can get a bit repetitive, but Louise Schreiber thankfully intercedes to give the movie some needed wit as Henry Kissinger. The give and take between Meyer and Kissinger are some of the best movie's best scenes. Best actress field for the Oscars this year will be crowded, but I'm sure she'll get a nomination, along with so far, I think, Margot Robbie, and hopefully Greta Lee of Past Lives, still my favorite performance of the year. And to come, I would guess maybe Emma Stone, Natalie Portman, but there's always a lot of contenders in the fall. I'd never bet against Margot Robbie, but even under tons of makeup here, Marin really excels as one of the history's most complicated characters. For that and its intense focus on war and repercussions, I will give Golda three stars. Brad, do we have a box office? Uh, we do have a box office from last week. Okay, well, maybe we should hold that off and we'll do the summary at the end. I'll give you some tomatoes real quick, yeah. Chris and audience. Keith, what you thinking of Rotten Tomatoes? All right, I think I like this more. I, you know, I, look, I glanced at some reviews. I think it was generally positive. I will go 80% critics. God, I don't know about fans. I think mostly, you know, for my audience, it was mostly older Jewish people who went to see this who were interested in it. But I will say 75 all right, well, the critics, 53%, 101 reviews. Wow. Audience, 90%, 50-plus reviews. I'm a little surprised at the critic response, but I do know that a lot of people thought the battle room scenes were very repetitive. I get that. I just really like Helen Mirren, and I like this movie. As far as the critics' consensus, courtesy of Rotten Tomatoes, Helen Mirren is typically masterful in the title role, but Golda never amounts to much more than passable history lesson presented in a largely underwhelming biopic form. All right, so if we're done with Golda, let's talk about The Equalizer 3. So I'll kick it back to Brad for the summary of this movie that stars Denzel Washington and is directed by mm-hmm. Antoine Fuqua. A summary is always courtesy of IMDb. 
Robert McCall finds himself at home in southern Italy, but he discovers his friends are under the control of local crime bosses. As events turn deadly, McCall knows what he has to do. Become his friend's protector by taking on the mafia. This movie is the third installment of a franchise that goes back to uh, 2014. It's the fifth collaboration between Denzel Washington and Antoine Fuqua. And just a bit of history, you know, this property dates back to the 1980s with a TV show on CBS starring Edward Woodward, who I guess most people would probably know as the guy from The Wicker Man, the police officer, and the original Wicker Man. It's rebooted into this movie franchise, and subsequently it's also become a unrelated TV show starring Queen Latifah. You know, I've always found these movies to be interesting. Uh, you know, this one is very curious because of the three, I think this has the least amount of action in this. And I don't know if that's, you know, partially you could think it's part of the story of Robert McCall, where he's come from as kind of this vigilante in Boston and where he is now, as Brad mentioned, being in Italy. I was really surprised how little action there is here. You know, the first two movies have a lot of big set pieces at the end and you really see Robert McCall's character taking care of business, but not so much in this one. So it's really about Denzel's character kind of coming to grips with where he is in life. The violence here is very realistic and kind of graphic. Um, Antoine Fuqua, in the interview, he'd said that, you know, that's how he likes to portray violence. He doesn't want to sugarcoat it. He doesn't want to make it cinematic. It's just what it is. And there's some rough scenes in here, even though there's not many. I don't know. I, I still kind of enjoyed it. I, I would think my bottom line review of this movie is that if you like Denzel Washington, you're going to like it. I don't think it's the best in this trilogy, and it definitely doesn't, probably wouldn't even crack maybe the top 15 or top 20 of Denzel's like movie career. If you are a fan of Man on Fire, speaking of better Denzel Washington movies, this one kind of has a mini reunion between him and now a grown Dakota Fanning as the CIA officer who's kind of keeping tabs on Robert McCall now and what he's doing and you know there's like a parallel story with her and her trying to figure out this mystery of like just why he was in Italy in the first place but you know that's that's pretty paint by the numbers as is the story basically it's kind of a western like you know Robert Robert McCall is kind of a gunslinger who's done some bad things he's selling in this town that he seems to enjoy and that town is kind of run or being intimidated by you know the, the mafia so he doesn't like that and he puts a stop to it and that's pretty much the the, the nuts and bolts of the story again if you like Denzel I would encourage you to watch it if you want to hold out until it comes to streaming I don't think you're missing that much but having said all that I'm gonna give the equalizer three a three. Rotten Tomatoes, critics and audience. I think the critics are probably on my side of just like it could be better and in a weird way, it's kind of a sad end to probably the final part of this franchise. I'm going to go like 72%. And again, if you like Denzel, you know, it's Denzel. He doesn't turn out a bad performance, even in a movie like this. So I'm going to go like 92%. All right. You're close on both, man. Okay. Uh, critics, 74%, 133 reviews. Audience, 94%, 1,000 plus reviews. Critics consensus, courtesy of Rotten Tomatoes. Another entertaining outing from Anton Fuqua and Denzel Washington, The Equalizer 3 mostly makes up for its formulaic story with generous helpings of cathartic action. The audience says, courtesy of Rotten Tomatoes, with satisfying action, beautiful scenery, and another solid Denzel performance, The Equalizer 3 may leave you hoping for a fourth installment. The only thing I would say is, like, I just don't think there's a lot of action in this movie. Right, so we're just sipping right along. So we're done with The Equalizer 3, so let's go to our third movie, Bottoms, that Keith is going to review. But first, got to have Brad do the summary. So, Brad? Uh, summary is always courtesy of IMDb. 
Two unpopular queer high school students start a fight club to have sex before graduation. The 2023 really is a banner year for raunchy movies with heart, and Bottoms joins the crowded field. It managed to stand out in both its outright silliness, but also in what it has to say about our society. Emma Seligman and Rachel Sennett first teamed up as director and star, respectively, of Seligman's Sheba Baby. They co-wrote that awkward gem about a college student who runs into both her sugar daddy and her ex-girlfriend at a Jewish funeral service. As that movie proved, they traffic in the uncomfortable and mine it for big laughs. And this time out, they're going back to high school, clearly inspired more by Heather's than any of the many recent TV movies that have followed it, and coming closest to the anarchic sphere of that classic. Sennett is again the co-writer and star here, and she's thankfully joined by Ayo Edebiri of The Bear, and seemingly tons of other movies this year. She was great as April in TMNT, Mutant Mayhem, and they make the perfect pair here as two lesbian outcasts who, and they plot to date two of the school's beauty queens, yes, with no qualifications whatsoever, start a fight club to get their attention. But neither of them look like they belong in high school, as do any of the other students here, just adds to the, the silly spirit of this. So how does it all work? Only because Seligman and Senate embrace the chaos of all this full throttle. It's a world where the teachers, well, one teacher, there's really only one, Marshawn Lynch, which just makes an opening statement and lets the kids run wild for the next hour. There's clearly no learning going on here, at least any that comes from the adults. Football players wear the uniforms all the time and are worshipped to an extreme. And it works not just for the extremely crude humor here, but the wounded and askew heart at its core. Senate is an abrasive presence by design, and Ed Beery is our perfect co-spirit here. She's quickly becoming one of my favorite actresses, and they're a great pair. Their constant inflating of their of having spent the summer in juvie gives the movie as its best-running joke. Along with Heather's, the movie this one builds on and flips on its head even better is John Hughes' The Breakfast Club. Here, of course, the girls are in charge, and their issues come to the fore. Among all the bloody noses and missing hijinks, there are serious moments here, as the girls, attracted to their self-defense club, share their stories of trauma, but that's only a blip in this mostly insanely silly and fun ride. Propelled by a soundtrack full of great beats from Charlie XCX, it all, of course, builds to a big football game, which for even sillier reasons I won't go into, never actually happens. Again, think Heather's, taken to the extreme and from an entirely warped view. This isn't quite as some have said a new classic that LGBTQ teens will celebrate for years to come, but it's extremely fun and funny, and with a saga of love and friendship beating beneath this insane story. I was happy but not shocked it opened here after its one week per screen average of 51,000, a key indicator of any movie's success edged out everything, everywhere, all at once. Now, to clarify, that is a much better movie, but that is a key indicator in week one of indie success. So I think people are going to see Bottoms. There were only five people in my showing in Salisbury, including me. But this is week two, and Brad will have the box office for us later. I will say, you know, this is not on a, on a par with Everywhere All at Once, but for this extremely work view of the world, and, you know, I like teenage movies in high school that are pure chaos and pure silliness. And that's what this is, but with a lot of heart. So I will give it three and a half stars. Okay. Uh, Rot Tomatoes, critics and audience, uh, Keith. What are you thinking? I, you know, I'm going to be really bullish with critics. I know a lot of people like this. I'll go 95, and I have to have faith in the world that if you're going to go see this, you know what it's about. I'll go high 85 for the fans, too. All right. Critics, 93%, 149 reviews. Mm -hmm. Audience, 91%, 250-plus reviews. Okay. So the uh, critics' consensus, courtesy of Rotten Tomatoes, propulsive and over-the-top, Bottoms is an instant high school comedy classic that feels both current and nostalgic. It's not, it's not that. It's sillier than that. But it is really, it stands out. Like I said, this is a movie. You know, I was talking to somebody, not, not one of you guys, somebody else I know about Strays and the fact nobody went to see that. You know, from what I've read, Strays kind of straddles between being kid-friendly and adult, and it doesn't have any point. This movie 
really has one and it's it's really funny. As far as the weekend box office, uh, instead of just going through top five straight, I'll just start with the movies that we reviewed today. Golda did not make the top 10. The only number I could find is from Saturday and they were saying it's gonna be like $525,000, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, it played very, but it's also, it's also a Fathom Events movie. I'm not sure if the director is hosting it, but it's going through a weird lane of a similar. Yeah. You know. Week one, it made $3.27 million. Equalizer 3 finished second in the box office, $12.1 million, two week total of $61.9 million. Bottoms finished, well, bottom of the 10. It finished 10th with $2.05 million for this week and a three week total of $7.6 million. Well, I know that it cost $11 million to make. So, given the world of streaming, that's probably pretty good. I think that's all, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, let's kind of ease into a comeback a little bit with these three movies. <laughs> But I think it's time to wrap things up. So Oh, yes. Um, you can find us, folks, at MoviesandMealOG at gmail.com. We're at MoviesandMeal on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. And please do give us a listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. All right, so for this episode of Movies in the Mail, I'm Ben. Keith. Brad. Peace. See you.